Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Patanas Defense, Masters of Darkness is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Fatana 16 millimeter filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18 millimeter image intensifier tubes. These ultra light, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16 millimeter monocular, the PD Pro B 16 millimeter, the PD Pro B 16 millimeter binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Patanus Defense, Masters of Darkness. I'm your host Joe Baia here today again with my co-host Clint Flowers. And today we're going to be talking about thermal optics with Steve Limonov of ATN. We're going to learn everything you need to know about thermal optics to be able to start hunting with them. But before we get there, let's go check in and get another current timber market update. Joining us today is Jonathan Smith, the executive director of Timber Mart South for this week's current timber market prices update. In this week's segment, we're going to be looking at timber prices for the state of Tennessee. Jonathan, welcome back to Huntland. What's been happening over in Tennessee and uh, what period of time are we going to be looking at today? Well, Joe and Clint, thanks for having me on. Today we're talking about Tennessee and we'll be looking at the second quarter 2021 prices, our latest publication. Pine saw timber was at $16.11. Pine chipping saw was at $10.12. And pine pulp wood at $5.83. Uh, hardwood saw timber at uh, $30.99, so almost $31 a ton, and hardwood pulp wood at $4.57. As you can see there, uh, no surprise, but Tennessee is known for its hardwood markets, and that's, uh, that's really the driver for how they make better decisions there. Jonathan, you know, last couple of times we had you on, we were talking about the Carolinas, and those pine markets over in Tennessee are basically almost at half of what the Carolinas are. Why is that? Uh, is there just, is it the infrastructure not there? Uh, why, why is it so much less there? It's infrastructure not there and where the mills are located. You know, you got, you got a lot of terrain issues to deal with uh, as far as logging, as well as traversing the mountain roads to get to the mills. And then you don't really have the, the mills in the, the pine mills in Tennessee uh, that we see in other states in the South. As far as prices, current prices in Tennessee, are you seeing any kind of an increase or decrease or are things relatively flat there? Tennessee has been very flat. Looking at our trends, I mean, for the last 
three years. Tennessee has been pretty flat, pretty stable. Uh, I've known some people that have purchased land in Tennessee and that that is what drives them to purchase in Tennessee is that uh, uh, the prices are so stable. We were talking about the infrastructure not really being there and then some of those challenges just with the, the just with the geography uh, leading to those lower prices. Anything going on in the market in Tennessee to increase the competition for those forest resources? Very little going on there. We really didn't have anything in our uh, meal openings and closings uh, that was directly related to Tennessee. So uh, there have been a few land transactions that have been tied to parcels of it or pieces of it being within Tennessee's boundaries. But uh, uh, as far as meal movement or any kind of market changes, there really haven't been any for the last couple of quarters. Well, Jonathan, thanks again for this week's current timber market update if folks want to look you guys up and and check out a subscription how do they do that oh yes please come see us the best way to uh get our information is probably to log into our website or look us up on the internet www.timbermart-south.com well jonathan it was good to have you back on we'll look forward to having you on again until the next time stay safe out there man we'll talk to you soon yes sir sounds good thank you All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap it up for the Timber Market Update. And this week, it's been brought to you by the Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms. And that's where the Hunting Exchange steps in. The Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, This secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal. And as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms. And listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. And also brought to you by Pyramid Air. Pyramid Air is your go-to resource for all things air gun. Whether you want a CO2 air pistol for your son to go planking or a 50 caliber air rifle that you can take on your next big game hunt, it's their goal to help you enjoy your gun. Shop online or call them toll-free at 1-888-262-4867. They offer a 30-day money-back guarantee, live online chat with seasoned shooters, and a state-of-the-art tech department ready to help you fix, upgrade, or tune your air gun. PyramidAir.com. Big selection, fast shipping. The air gun experts. Find them at PyramidAir.com. All right. Well, you know, Clint, recently Alabama legalized the hunting of feral swine and coyotes at night. Alabama residents will now be able to purchase a $15 license to target these two game species in season. When you start discussing hunting hogs at night, the the use of thermal optics is bound to come up. So this week on Huntland, we're going to give you a primer on thermal optics. And that's really going to help you if you're considering adding some of this to your arsenal. Clint, 
I am absolutely going to have night vision and thermal going into this season, especially now that we've got a legal season in Alabama to be able to hunt hogs and coyotes. Not not all states gotten on board with this yet, but that being an option now, having done it in Florida, man, nothing like it. It's not the it's not as easy as everybody makes it out to be, but you can really do some damage on those two species that are invasive species doing a lot of damage to our native wildlife populations. You can really be productive at night doing it. And it's just, man, it's a lot of fun. Have you got a chance to go on a thermal hunt yet? No, not yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, as with anything, there's some vernacular here that we're going to have to get into. So to do that, let's go talk with Steve Limonov with ATN. Well, Steve, welcome to Hunting Land, man. First off, tell us a little bit about, about ATN and, and your role there. Thanks, Joe. Uh, appreciate uh, you having me on your program. ATN is a premier optics manufacturer. Uh, we've been around since 1995. We've uh, created, manufactured, designed a lot of different types of uh, electro-optics, predominantly night vision and thermal products. Not sure how familiar your audience is with ATN, but you know we've been around for over 25 years. My role here for the last uh, several years has been the director of marketing. And a lot of the creative uh, ads and uh, marketing material you see, you know, comes from my team. And uh, we're very proud of uh, what we create. And uh, sometimes we help uh, with providing feedback to engineers, uh, you know, what customers want and need in our products. And then they go to their uh, drafting boards and uh, make it happen. So it's very exciting, you know, to see something uh, be created from, you know, concept to, you know, in the field use and performing well and customers being uh, happy and satisfied with the product is very exciting. And we're, we're happy to be in this industry and uh, being part of the community and creating and manufacturing uh, you know, great electro optics for nighttime and daytime usage. You know, being the conduit between your engineers who are very technically knowledgeable experts on all the different science and technology behind what's going on, but you're the conduit between that expertise and those guys that want to just go hunt with this stuff. And right. I, the thing that I see the biggest maybe disconnect that I see from my own personal perspective in thermal optics is the vernacular is so much different than what we think of with the optics we're all familiar with. Hey man, I got a three to 12 by 50 rifle scope. You know, everybody knows that we're talking about magnification and objective and they know what ra- what magnification does for them in the field and they know what objective does for them in the field. When we start thinking about thermal, how does that vernacular change and how can we make that analogous to standard hunting optics and also in the field use? It's a great question. You know. Uh, some of the vernacular kind of transitions from tr- in traditional optics to thermal or digital day-night vision, you know, you have the objective, you know, you have the main body of the product, the scope, right? And But you have additional elements in there, like electronics, you have boards, you have sensors, you have displays, you have batteries, you know, there's a lot of things that go into the manufacturing process and design process of making electro-optics because, you know, realistically, you are mounting virtually a computer in the body of a scope onto a gun, right? So thinking in in those terms kind of helps people because they expect 
a thermal scope or a digital day-night scope to be very similar to a glass scope where you have, you know, you have glass, you have prisms, you have the etched reticle, you know, you have sometimes batteries that illuminate the reticle and they're used to seeing, you know, once, you know, the good quality glass, you know, if you have a three to nine, as you're transitioning the magnification, it's like you're zooming into the target. There's you're, you're seeing through the scope. Well, with digital optics, it's a little different because you're not like looking directly through that product. You're looking at a digital screen, like a TV, very small TV screen in the back eyepiece of that product, which you know, by um, using the sensors, you know, either the thermal sensors or the day-night digital sensor that produces or captures that image, the processors, the boards process all that information and produce the reticle on the back screen with that image that you're used to seeing through a traditional glass scope, but in a digital format, uh, like you would see on a television, basically. Yeah. So it makes sense to me. Like you said, I, I never had thought about it in a sense that I'm not looking through the scope. I'm looking at a screen within the scope. So to understand that a little bit better, let's, let's break down some of this, some of these vocabulary. When you talk about a sensor, mm-hmm. What are you measuring and how does that how does that apply to the field? Like what would somebody want to know about sensors and, and what makes one better or best? Sure. Well, uh, for if we're talking about thermal, there are several different types of sensors and they are uh, basically you would judge them or look at them by the type of resolution that they could produce. So, you know, all thermal sensors have a resolution that they can generate like or, or see. So there are several out there in the marketplace. Uh, there's actually uh, several types of material that the sensors are made from. Not sure of how technical your audience wants me to get, but really there's uh, two predominant sensor types. There's the Vox or viridium oxide, and the, there's the amorphous silicone, which are the actual material, the silicone material, which is used to manufacture a thermal sensor. Like um, I'm sure you, um, some people are familiar with like Intel or AMD and they have processors, right? And th- those processors, uh, an image is implanted, like a processor image is implanted on a, a wafer, which is a silicone piece of material. And that, that's cut up into finite pieces to produce those sensors. It's all done in the clean room. It's it's very high tech, very expensive to do. But because thermal sensors in today's world are used in so many applications, not just for hunting or surveillance, if you're looking automotive, dentistry, uh, astronomy, uh, agriculture, uh, machine uh, heat audit, you know, for oil and gas industry. There's a lot of applications for thermal, you know, home audit for seeing if there's uh, leakage of heat or cold for HVAC. So there's massive economies of scale, and there's 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 these companies that make a ton of these sensors, and they all come in different resolutions. There is 160 by 120. There is 320 by 240. There is the 640 by 480, which is the top uh, commercial grade uh, thermal sensors available currently. There's some lower sensors also like 80 by 60, depending on, you know, the application. Like, you know, I'm sure you've seen those little thermal cameras you attach to your cell phones to do like thermal auditing or, or scanning, which are meant for like very short distances. So the thermal sensor have resolutions and the better the resolution is that you have in the thermal sensor, the better... The image is going to be, you know, more clear, crisper, 
and the farther you'll be able to see with that product. Gotcha. So basically for somebody who's trying to compare and contrast different thermal optics, the higher the number, like you said, mm -hmm. 160 being on the low end, 640 being on the high end, the higher the number, the better the resolution. And the better the resolution, the more distance you're going to be able to get out of that optic. So if somebody was in a scenario where they know, hey, I'm hunting in timber, you know, a timbered environment, uh, mostly woodlands, timberland. I don't have long shots. Maybe I've got feeder out there and I'm just trying to attract hogs to within, say, 100 yards. That would be a person that could get away with some of the lower resolution versus somebody who's hunting in agricultural fields and they're wanting to be able to spot pigs or coyotes a thousand yards away, they're going to want to up their sensor and ultimately their resolution better or best out of the lineup. True. But also you got to also just look at the regular scope you have, let's say for, as your previous example, a three to nine by 50, right? The 50 is the objective size. That is the light that is being absorbed by that day scope to produce uh, a good quality image. With thermal is, is similar also. Basically, uh, in thermal products, uh, we use a special type of glass. It's called germanium. And it's a rare earth mineral. It's very expensive. It's hard to manufacture and extract from the earth and produce and grind and all the things that it takes to make them. So the larger that lens size is in combination with your sensor, the higher the optical magnification is going to be and the farther you're going to be, uh, be able to see as well. So it's a fine line. You have to kind of weigh the benefits of having one type of resolution sensor with the type of lens you're selecting. Because you know if you're selecting a 640 and you're using, let's say, a 19 millimeter lens and it gives you maybe a 1x or 2x magnification, well, that's a, your op native optical magnification. Yes, your resolution is going to be great, but it's only 2x. So when you're actually magnifying beyond that and using the digital, you're cutting your resolution down. So every time we use, when you're using thermal or digital products, just like a cell phone camera or a digital camera, like a DSLR or any kind of digital camera, when you're going past the optical magnification and you going into the digital realm, your resolution gets cut down. And the image quality gets a little degraded and, you know, you're not able to see as clear or sharp that target or image that's far, uh, you know, far away, basically. It's kind of analogous to a, a rifle scope that, you know, we all know that, hey, if I've get a, if I get a 56 objective, then I'm going to gather more light than I will with a 50 or a 44. Well, you know, as, as it gets close to dusk. I can have all the magnification in the world, but if I don't have enough light, it's doing me no good. So it seems like that's analogous to that is you have to couple resolution with lens size to make sure that that resolution is actually useful. Correct. What about motion? Like if you've got game on the move, or I think we've all seen the videos with earlier models when this stuff started coming out where you got the lag or the pixelation, how does that play into things? Well, that's the refresh rate in the Hertz. So, you know, the sensors also and the displays have a refresh rate, the speed at which the screen refreshes. So give you a good analogy, thinking about televisions, modern televisions, they have typically 120 Hertz, 240 Hertz. Well, the reason why there's, you know, such a vast assortment of refresh rates and televisions is also, you know, besides the whatever the 4K or 8K resolution that's available is when you have fast action, like movies or scenery transitions, you want to have 
a faster refresh rate on the display or let's say at the TV screen. So when there's fast action happening or fast transitions from scenes, you don't have that lag. You don't have that kind of a jittery effect that happens sometimes on the lower quality televisions that have a smaller hertz or refresh rate. So the, the higher the refresh rate, the faster the display in your product constantly updates. And so if you're, let's say, hunting and you have a target that's running and you're leading the target, you want to have a good refresh rate to keep up with that target. So when you do take that shot, you don't miss because of that lag or that jitteriness. And man, let me tell you, when you're hunting pigs at night, you're going to be taking some running shots. That's definitely something that is going to happen. The first shot, they might be still, but they're going to start, they're going to start moving once ammunition starts going off and, uh, it's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun, but I could see, you know, that's, that's very important to being able to make an accurate shot. If you're not refreshing, you, you think you're making a, you may be leading it properly, but you're actually behind the animal before you ever even pull the trigger. You know, one of the things that's interested me about thermal optics is you see monoculars. I mean, we don't see monoculars very much in the world of, you know, typical hunting optics. It's binoculars and rifle scopes. And I'm curious why, I mean, why do we see monoculars versus just say binoculars and what's the application of each? Well, that's a good question. And the simple answer is economics. It's a lot more cost-effective and cheaper to the consumer to use a thermal monocular versus a binocular because you're using less germanium. Basically, if you're using, you know, a dual eye system, you have less displays in the monocular versus a binocular less sensors, you know, less electronics. So it's all based on economics and preference. You know, some people are happy with thermal monocular to scanning. Some people prefer binoculars because they like that to see the entire field of view with both eyes, right? Because they're used to using glass binoculars in the daytime and they're used to that. It's really all about preference, utility, and budget. Yeah. Because budget plays a big part of your selection process in these optics because, you know, they range from a couple hundred dollars to a couple thousand dollars. And there's a slew of options and uh, variations that you can select for your you know, desired application. And utility plays a very big part in this process. And in my experience, monoculars, you know, are, are lighter they're more compact. Uh, they cost a little, a little less than binoculars. So people gravitate in the nighttime thermal hunting world toward monoculars more so than binoculars. Makes sense. You're, you're basically buying half, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're just cutting it in half and it keeps the cost down because those costs are just higher to produce it. It allows more people to get involved, but it is, it can be a strain, you know, for having, having used a, a monocular scanner, there's, it's definitely something to get used to. You're having to keep that other eye closed constantly. I mean, just just imagine, you know, for the folks listening, you think about looking through binoculars. Now imagine if you had to use a rifle scope to do everything you do with your binoculars. Right. It's not to say that it's not doable. It's just not as comfortable. And you have to measure that against your budget for these things. So let's talk about budget a little bit. You know, there, like you mentioned, there's the entry level thermal optics all the way up to your more feature rich options. Some of the things that we've talked about off the air that you guys offer are just crazy to me, the different technology that's out there. But 
take me through, you know, kind of entry level and then moving on up into these feature rich thermal optics, what kind of bang you're getting for increasing the price, you know, cause I, I guess for what everybody wants is they want to have enough to get the job done effectively. Some people want the best because the, they just either want the best or they have a specific uh, need for those things. And I don't think anybody wants to pay for something they don't really need. So kind of take me through the lineup. Which is true, but sometimes, uh, you know, we think we might not need something. And then once we have it, you can't really live without it. So it's one of those things. It's a catch 22, right? We don't know what we don't know. But uh, in simpler terms, you know, our entry-level products, you know, are slim down to make them very simple, user-friendly menus are very simple. You know, you can go through the menu intuitively and understand what's going on. Basic functions like brightness control, contrast, magnification. And as, as you go up into, you know, the other products which have more features, you know, we incorporate video recording, uh, ballistic calculators, profile managers, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth capability where you can connect to a smartphone or a tablet and stream uh, the live scene from your device to that (laughs) smartphone or tablet. So if you're hunting with somebody, they could see exactly what you're seeing on your scope or through your binoculars. We have other items like uh, our BIX technology where our products talk to each other, like our ABLE, our auxiliary ballistic laser or binoculars, uh, which have a laser rangefinder built into them. You can use those devices to, say, range the target and instantaneously that information can be transmitted to the scope. And if you have, let's say, the ballistic calculator turned on and you have the ballistic profile for the load that you're shooting, it'll adjust your reticle instantaneously to the correct point of impact and you don't have to do any kind of holdover. So there's a lot of cool, rich features and functions as you go up in price that are incorporated into the products. I really like the idea of being able to play back, you know, what that person was. I feel like it'd be a really good opportunity for me to make fun of Clint whenever he misses, you know? (laughs) It's actually, it's a great teaching tool. You know, we hear a lot of customers uh, teaching their kids or, you know, new uh, hunters or shooters or, you know, or youth hunters using that recording feature to teach them where they're making the mistakes. You know, how if they're pulling the trigger, if they're squeezing the trigger, if they're, their breathing is incorrect. If they're all over the place and the reticle is jumping all over the place, they're not holding steady. Yep. So video recording has been really a game changer since we've really introduced it into our products. And a lot of competitors have kind of followed suit because it is an awesome function and feature that a lot of people enjoy, not just you know for capturing that hunt, that moment, that experience, that could be like a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and you could bring it back home and share it with friends, family, social media, uh, YouTube, whatnot. But you can utilize that function to become a better shooter, a better hunter, more ethical, clean shot, and teach the next generation how to do that those things correctly by having like a football uh, instant replay <laughs> yeah. playback and seeing exactly when you're doing the wrong things and when you're doing the right things and do more of the right things, basically. I like the idea of that too, because we've all had that experience. I think if you've hunted enough, you've had the experience where you take the shot and you're not, you're just not sure. You're not sure where the deer went, you know, or you're not sure which way they went. And, you know, you feel like you made a good shot, but you can't find blood. And, and you know, you're kind of like, 
man, I felt like I was on the deer. Did I miss? And, you know, quite often you, you've made a great shot. It's just taking you a minute to find sign. And we've all had those kind of experience being able to go back and replay that and say, okay, yeah, I did make a good shot or no, look, I jerked the trigger and I was off the animal whenever I, when the bullet actually went off. And, you know, I've, I've done that a lot with different people that I've taken hunting over the years, you know, said, well, what was the last thing you saw when you remember seeing when you pulled the trigger? And a lot of times they'll say, uh, maybe I shot high, you know, cause they kind of have <laughs> that, that last image in their head. And I'm like, right. yeah, you might have. So this, this takes the guesswork out of that. Yeah. You, you could actually replay that right in the field on your optic or on your smartphone or tablet. If you have it with you connected to the device and you could instantly do a replay of exactly what happened you know and you could see you know where the deer might have uh, or the animal might have run off after the yeah. shot was taken so it, it really helps well speaking of that you know I mean, we're talking about thermal uh we're talking about hunting specifically pigs and and predators like coyotes that's you know we kind of started the show that that's a new there's a new season for that in the state of alabama which is where well one of the places that clint and i hunt a lot of states have had you know, nighttime seasons for a long time, but you know, we're talking about deer now. Are you able to take a thermal optic and use it during the daytime? Yeah, of course. Thermal is not only used during nighttime. You can use thermal during the daytime and it helps if you have, you know, fog, foliage, you know, thermal can see through fog, through light fog. Uh, it could see through light foliage. So if you have tall grass or, you know, a ridgeline, uh, you could see, you know, coyotes, maybe, I don't know, congregating or testing the waters and the ridgeline. You could see heat signatures quite a bit off with thermal. And, you know, thermal has a great advantage in detecting uh, animals or any, anything really that lives or breathes. And it's a lot faster to detect animals with thermal. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned that uh, a little while ago that a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. You don't know you need something until you till you start using it and you realize, man, where, where was this all my life? But the other thing I'm thinking about is like the other applications of thermal, uh, you know, you just mentioned it. I mean, a lot of times we're scanning large areas looking for game uh, during the daytime. It's not something that uh, is only going to be able to be used at night. I would imagine that's going to help you if you're, if you're scanning, like you say, dense foliage and things of that nature, to be able to pick something up that's moving through there that you may not see with the naked eye or even through your binoculars. Yeah, which is true. Like, you know, prepping for deer season, you want to find, you know, uh, bedding areas or movement uh, where the deer maybe is more prevalent. And you could use thermal monocular binoculars, you know, to kind of scout and scan preseason or, and kind of get away of the land and uh, maybe understand the pattern of uh you know the game that you're after what about on those rainy hunts does it help there yeah you know um you know thermal humidity humidity like moisture doesn't do well with thermal the image quality degrades that's why if there is a lot of moisture humidity you want to nuke which is basically you're refreshing the thermal sensor what it does it uh, performs um a non-uniform correction uh, there's a lot of thermal tables um, in the systems that scanned the, the ranges and optimizes to the environment. Um, so if you have like a rainy, a, you know, environment, you know, a lot of uh, dew or a lot of humidity, you're going to see the image in the thermal product um, kind of degrade more often than when there's a lot less humidity. 
So you could set the system to do an automatic nuke, or you could do it when you want to manually, basically, when you see, oh, the image isn't as good as it was maybe 30 minutes ago. Let me, you know, nuke it quickly. The sensor refreshes and uh, it clears up the image, basically, giving you a better crisper image. I would think that that would be a big consideration for the folks that that are listening that hunt in the Southeast. I mean, I know it's, it's more often humid than it is not where, where I hunt. And that would be something to pay special attention to. So you just to kind of go back through that a little bit, that's going to be something that you would want to look for in your sensor. Well, honestly, most modern thermal optics have uh, a nuke feature. Okay. Everybody has it. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the products. It's everybody has that because it's an essential part of the product. Gotcha. So if somebody is thinking about starting to take part in nighttime hunting for, for whatever reason, or just can see another application for thermal use. I mean, I even think too about like, think about tracking wounded game that could definitely help you find game. That- yeah. Blood trails because blood, uh, you know, is, is warm, more warmer than the arounding environment typically, uh, unless it's been there for a really long time. Uh, you could use thermal to track game a lot more efficiently. Uh, you'll be able to see those blood uh, trails and splatter, or whatever, you know, a lot quicker. Yeah. And you could track uh, the bound, you know, game animal a lot faster. So recovery efforts are a lot easier and faster to accomplish. We've all, I think if you've hunted long enough, you've all had an experience where you were tracking an animal, unable to find it. You come back the next morning and you've, you realize you've walked past it. If you had just had some kind of an optic to give you a thermal signature, you would have found it very easily. I could see it this this playing into that. That that being said, you know, we we're talking about rifle scopes, we're talking about binoculars and monoculars. Is there a do it all in thermal? Like is there if if you said, "Hey, I've got the budget for a rifle scope or a monocular, not both." Is there something that can be used for both? Are there any of these things, you know, is there a um, a most a most versatile setup that you think? You know, there is, but I find it that all-in-one type of things don't usually do both things well. You know, typically if you have a rifle scope, the rifle scope does that one thing well, or the monocular does that one thing well. If you have something like a, both a, a scope and a monocular in one, it doesn't always do what you want it to do because let's say a, an attachment, let's say to a day scope and then transitioning it, you know, taking it off and adding another piece so you could use it because you know, when you're attaching something to another optic, you have to, you know, be cognizant that, you know, you're looking onto a small screen from with your day optic, right? So uh, the magnification may be too much. It might not work like you're intended to. And then when you're taking it off and you're placing another piece, uh, an eyepiece uh, onto it, again, depending uh, your technical knowledge, it might not work out for you. So I find things that are dedicated to a specific task, perform better than a like a all-encompassing type of thing. Yeah, uh, optic. Do, do it all. That makes sense. Yeah. So if somebody is trying to determine where to spend their money in thermal, uh, you know, my recommendation is honestly to get your feet wet. I would honestly go with a like a digital day night product and a thermal monocular. So basically, use use the thermal monocular to detect the game. You know where it is. Then you bring up your rifle with a digital day-night product. Uh, if your budget is, of course, a concern and precludes you from spending those dollars to have both thermal products. Using the digital day-night optic to see the target, you know, identify it and engage it. 
uh, once you were you know able to scan the scene with a thermal monocular. Now, if budget is not concerned, getting a good thermal monocular and having a good thermal scope will definitely give you a, a great nighttime hunting experience for sure. Most of our of us hunters, you know, we're pretty tough on our gear during season, and you know, we'll make sure everything's in top-notch working order at the beginning of season and do a, a good take apart and clean up after season. But, you know, while we're using this gear, I mean, is there anything that we need to be doing to make sure that we're maintaining everything properly, that everything works well when we pull it out of the case, you know, after each hunt or, or every so often? Yeah, that's a great question, Clint. Um, you want to treat your optics, you know, your thermal or night vision optics, like you would, you, you know, treat your you know, regular glass optics. You want to clean glass surfaces with an optical cleaning cloth, not just some rag, uh, because there's coatings on the glass. You want to be careful not to damage uh, the optics. Uh, you want to, you know, uh, particulates, dust, you want to, you know, dust it off the housing, but the housing is all encompassing, you know, all our products are, you know, weather resistant. So rain or snow or dust, you know, wouldn't really affect the performance of the products. You know, we do have a great warranty program. Thermals, uh, uh, predominantly our thermal products have a three-year warranty. Uh, our digital optics have a two-year warranty. Our traditional night vision has a two-year warranty. And, um, you know, mentioning coming back to, you know, getting your feet wet in terms of, you know, starting off with um, like an entry level digital scope and a thermal monocular, you know, ATN has a great upgrade program. So if you get something and you've outgrown it or you want to transition into something better with more capabilities and features, you know, we will support our customers, you know, we typically bend over backwards for our customers to give them a five-star experience. And, you know, we take your old product, we give you a fair value for it. And, you know, we apply that for the purchase of a new product that you want, basically upgrading you to the latest and greatest from ATN. And I also kind of want to mention, if your audience is interested in seeing how-to videos, hunting videos, atncorp.com, we have a great resource section, uh, you know, customer support section where customers can see how-to videos, instructional manuals, uh, professional pro staff, uh, hunters using products in action uh, every day, you know, hunting videos showcasing the products, uh, you know, and their capabilities. Steve, thanks a lot for, you know, shedding a little light, pardon the pun, on, uh, on this topic. I think it uh, you did a really good job of just kind of getting us all up to speed on what we're talking about when it comes to thermal and uh, maybe how somebody can enter the market. Uh, and it sounds like you got a lot of good options for folks, no matter where they are on the continuum of, of beginner to expert. Appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge with us, man. We'll look forward to uh, bringing you back on next time we've got a, a thermal optics question. Fantastic. I appreciate you guys. Clint, I was excited to get up to speed on the vernacular of thermal optics, because there are certain things I have knowledge on in the hunting world, like with certain types of gear that I can compare different products and make a decision pretty quickly on, Hey, this is a deal killer for me because of this particular component, or, you know, Hey, I've got these two rifles, for example, that are basically the same price. And I'm able to look at the trigger and decide which one's better or look at the way that the action's bedded or, you know, all these different things that help me decide, make a decision. It was interesting to me, all the different technology and, and vocabulary that goes into this. 
but mostly just, man, this is some complicated stuff that they are producing. He said a whole bunch of words I've never heard before. Yep. I know that happens to you every day, but it's especially <laughs> on a day like today. <laughs> but yeah, but not, I mean, but at the same time, they've got it pretty homogenized and, and, you know, broken into the different categories. So you can kind of pick how advanced you want to get, you know, whether you want the highest resolution at the furthest distance with the highest refresh rate. So, or if you just want to start at level one and go from there, I mean, it's, it's pretty cool how they've got it, you know, an option for everybody. And I also like, you know, you think about your phone is you're going to buy the best phone you can buy right now. Two years, it's going to be like obsolete almost, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not obsolete, but it's, there's so much more technology that's available. And, and I think that that's what's happening too in the world of thermal is you're seeing technologies increase dramatically. Uh, prices have come down dramatically. And it may be that what's best today, kind of like back to the heavy duty trucks, you know, show we just did. What's entry level today was the best thing going 15 years ago. Yep. So two years from now, where are we going to be? That upgrade program is pretty attractive too. And I have a tendency to have project creep myself, <laughs> you know, like you don't know if you're even going to like thermal hunting before you go. And then all of a sudden you go and you're like, oh yeah, I'm fixing to get, I'm fixing to get rigged up for this. We're going, <laughs> we're going to do some more of this. Cause I'll tell you what, man, of all the frustration that coyotes and pigs have caused me over the years, there's nothing like going out there that first time being like, all right, we just leveled the playing field on you guys. It just gives you a whole nother realm of recreational opportunities on your property for fun, but also for getting rid of some of these, these invasive species that do a lot of damage to native habitat, native wildlife, which ultimately, like we always talk about, with hunting land, the better you can do with your habitat, the better you can do with your wildlife, the more, more value it's going to bring to your property over the years. Yeah. And, you know, being able to sneak around like Rambo while you do it, it isn't a bad return either. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The National Deer Association. If you are a landowner or a hunter who leases land or is a member of a hunting club, then purchasing hunting land liability insurance is essential. For as little as a few cents an acre, the National Deer Association offers the broadest and most comprehensive coverage available, including member-to-member -member coverage, guest coverage, and coverage for many high-risk activities involving tree stands, ATVs, and firearms. Many other policies contain hidden exclusions for these activities, so don't risk your assets. Go to thedeerassociation.com to protect yourself today. That's deerassociation.com. And also brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. Well, folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. 
This week's Unlamp show is brought to you by MB Ranch King. Save time and money when you buy MB Ranch King's maintenance-free hunting blinds. Call Kevin for info or quotes. 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King. Built in the pursuit of perfection. And also Sun South. Visit your neighbors at Sun South John Deere and take advantage of service special packages to have your tractor or riding lawn equipment ready and running its best. Sun South also has a large selection of used equipment. So visit sunsouth.com to learn more. And also brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. Check out their full line of property and land services at brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690. And also brought to you by the Alabama Ag Credit. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. They are an equal housing lender. And also brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. 